Welcome into another episode of We're Talking Tonight. We're talking football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Good afternoon, Danny. How are you? Buddy, it is always good to see you. I hope you guys are doing well and getting ready for a big primetime matchup tomorrow night. It's going to be exciting. Unfortunately, I'm not making the trip, but uh, next year, maybe not this trip next year, but a trip next year. So um, let's jump right in. Um, let's start out with a game that we that we talked about uh, a little bit in the sense of the last two games James Madison played. We thought that they had to take care of business to kind of put that stamp uh, saying that they're for real, even though it's two teams they should have should win against. What what did you get out of that game, though? I mean, was that something that Arkansas State maybe might have been playing a little better against ULM than ULM really was? I think that it took JMU to get going a little bit longer than usual because it was – a road test where people realize how good they are. I mean, they went into that game 4-0, and most of the time in the FCS, regardless of where they were going, they were going to be favored. You could basically put them in in Sharpie, at least in the FCS semifinals with a collision course with them in North Dakota State every year. But this was one of the few times where it looked like it took them a minute to get their running game going. Their defense, though, has been stellar all year long. They're number two in the country in total defense. They lead the country in rush defense at just 41 yards per game. And they held Arkansas State to 20 yards rushing. It, it, it's unfortunate that Arkansas State has dropped off a little bit. I, I think that Butch Jones has the pieces he needs to eventually get them back to where they should be. But JMU has recruited at this level for a long time. It's just felt that everybody can see it. And, yes, they are the number 25 team in the country, and they are the number two G5 team behind number 21 Cincinnati. So, yeah, the discussion this week in Harrisonburg has been, do we have a chance at the Cotton Bowl? How good can this get this year? It might be rose-colored glasses, but they've earned it. They've earned the chance to talk like this. And they're going to look at this weekend as a chance to get to 6-0, and go more than halfway through the season, and – no transitioning team has ever won their first six games in the FBS. So that, that would be, that would be a pretty awesome thing for them to say as well. You look at me dropping, not look at me, look at you dropping knowledge like that on the no, no uh, transition team, make getting six, six wins in a row. That's uh that's great knowledge though, but you're about the only one that I would expect to actually know those types of things. The only reason I can spit it back to you is because I listened to JMU's broadcast on the way home from Atlanta after Southern Knot State on Saturday, and they brought it up a bunch. So it was an easy wood to pick out from the things that they were shooting for. But after those early struggles, I think they got touchdowns on six of their last seven drives. Quarterback Todd Santeo is in the running for player of the year alongside Grayson Nicole. I think it's 15 touchdowns and one pick at this point. They could throw any of three, maybe even four different running backs out there. Chris Thornton, the slot receiver, might be the league's best. Him and Ali Jennings have gone back and forth for that title so far this year. They're just good. They don't make that many mistakes. They're sound. They're patient. They're disciplined. And I know I'm talking up a team that was just in the FCS last year, but they've been an FBS program for years. It's just now they're actually getting credit for it. Yeah, you brought up listening to the game. Are they a Learfield uh, broadcast yes, team as well? Yes, they are. 
So that that's for those that don't know Learfield, you can get the Learfield app, you can catch all the games, and you'll learn knowledge that uh, Danny's talking about now. But you don't want to listen to it too much because then you're going to realize that you may not need to listen to Danny and I, but you'll always need to listen to Danny and I, quite honestly. Or is it Danny and me? Uh, oh, well. So moving on, though. Uh, Troy at Southern Miss. This is a game that I really thought would be uh, more so – uh would be would be a test for for southern miss thought troy was a better team but at the same time at halftime it was it was it was still very close game at, at a 10 to 10 to 7 game any surprises coming out of that game though not really the these teams know each other pretty well they've had a home and home within the last couple of years and troy has taken actually they split southern miss won a crazy game at Veterans Memorial Stadium a couple of years ago. Really high scoring. I think that Jack Abraham was still a quarterback at that point before he transferred. That was a nutso game. I think Troy had 400-yard receivers, and I'd never heard of that before, and I know it's been a couple of years, but Troy goes to Hattiesburg last year and wins comfortably. I, this one really didn't surprise me. Like we talked about before, Southern Miss is getting closer, and I really believe, I've, I've said this before, I think Will Hall is the best fit for his team than any and I say this to a Louisiana guy with Mike Desermo, who's quarterback there, but I think Will Hall is a perfect fit at Southern Miss. It's just a matter of when it turns. They got to get some guys healthy. They got a number of guys out for the year. And as we've brought up with Troy a number of times, the defense is really good. Carlton Marshall is one of the best players in this country. He's going to break the FBS record for all time tackles. And quarterback wise, they're throwing for so much. They got two guys that can beat you. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, Will Hall as well as Mike DeZormo. Both of them, I think, are, are good fits for both programs, and I like I like what they're doing. I I know Cajun fans are not going to want to hear that, but I think this this team is on the on the verge of some things, and we'll get that to a little later on in the program. Uh, moving on, though, uh, a game again, something you had brought up last week. Uh, Coastal never going to ULM and winning. And ULM had their opportunities. I watched quite a bit of this game. I believe they had a, a fourth down and one or from the two and missed that. But ULM had their opportunities here. In the end, I believe it was turnovers that ended up hurting ULM, though, at, with not being able to get the victory there. Were you able to get a chance to watch any of this or listen? Yeah, I saw the final couple of minutes of it when we got back home. Just another application of Coastal figuring it out on the fly. I don't know if there were any points scored in the second half of that game. It seemed like ULM had a little bit of momentum in the second half, but when you're facing a team like Coastal, who's been through it, I mean, 11 wins, 11 wins, and now they're bowl eligible at 6-0, and they've, they've clearly unmasked that recipe, and it's their way of doing it. It's a unique way of doing it. They win games. Grayson McCall is certainly a big reason why, but for a defense that lost eight starters last year to just plug guys in and not really skip a whole lot. I would say that Chad Staggs, their D coordinator, deserves just as much credit as Jamie Chadwell for the culture of that team because defensively is where they had a lot of star power last year. But now this year you're seeing that it's just as much on the coaching as it is, that it is the Jimmys and the Joes. Yeah, let me correct myself on one thing. There were no turnovers by ULM, either team, for that that uh, fact there. But uh, it did. It came down to two fourth-down conversions for ULM that they were not able to convert on. So in two of five in the red zone, that'll also hurt you. 
Uh, ULM did score in, in uh, the third quarter, but that was the end of the only scoring in the second half. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not going to say that I thought ULM hiring of uh, Bowden was a joke or not <clears throat> taking things serious. But at the same time, I think he's been a surprise up there with what he's been able to do in such a short time. I know the wins haven't been there, but I think he's kind of moving them in the right direction as well. Well, for a situation like that where ULM has, I think, the lowest budget in the entire FBS, you probably need somebody with name recognition to level out the playing field. And Rich Rodriguez had run their offense for a spell. Now he's got Vic Coning down there running the defense, a, a name that this league knows very well from his time, very successful stint under Neil Brown at Troy. ULM's got to do things a little bit differently because the finances just aren't there. But to have somebody like Terry Bowden, you know the Bowden family name, you know the ability to recruit. And I honestly would put them in a similar class of Texas State where they're probably in need of that landmark victory. Now, look, a year ago, they took down Troy. They beat Liberty somehow. Liberty was favored by 30-some points. But they need to beat a top-line team in this conference, and I'm sure we'll talk about Texas State in a minute. But that's what Texas State did last week. ULM is still trying to, okay, can we pick off somebody in our division in the East, depending on what the schedule looks like, and show that we're not just a team that plays in this conference. And that's an idea that we've talked about before as well. They've proven that they're close. They beat the Cajuns, and I know that the Cajuns probably don't feel that good about themselves now. They could feel a lot better after Wednesday night if they went up in Huntington against a really talented Marshall team. But they almost pulled it off. They were right there, very close to being able to say Coastal still has never won. (laughs) <laughs> more hawk field but they'll have to they'll have to wait on that and see if they can grab another win a little bit down the line this season i agree with uh, it's kind of it's hard to argue with anything you said there not that i would argue with you i might challenge you but i'm never arguing. uh moving on though uh georgia georgia southern visiting georgia state i know that's a game you're very familiar with but uh, from what I saw of it, it, it looked like uh, when Georgia Southern got pressure on the quarterback, they were doing well, and but there were at times that Georgia Southern just couldn't get Georgia State off the field. Uh, talk to me about that game a little bit. I know it got very close at one point, 30-34, but uh, before uh, Georgia State was able to pull away a little bit. Well, first, let me say that it's always Southern, not State, regardless of what the final score is. They could say their addition if they want to. But, yeah, getting down 27-10 and then 34-17, then they came back. It's what they did against UAB. They built themselves a three-score deficit. Then they had to rally back. Clay Helton told the team on the field, he said, look, you do the things we're supposed to do. You protect the football. You score. You get stopped. It's going to be a one-score game in the fourth quarter, and it was. It was 34-30, and Georgia Southern had the ball with a chance to take the lead. But in the end, giving up 335 yards rushing and turning it over five times, did them in and even so they still only lost by eight points so that tells you that just a little bit of a self-correction and it may have been a remarkably different game did you think we ever would be talking about i mean i'm sure you did but uh for for a lot of us over here georgia southern 359 yards passing and 92 yards rushing i mean that's kind of a an oddity still it's still i know i know it's not the first game of the year but i still get still can't believe that 
it, that's the way that it was here from 2007 through 2009 and maybe a little bit of 2016. They didn't throw for that much that year, but it was definitely more tilted toward passing than it was running that season. But for a program that has largely been option-based for the better part of four decades to still hear those numbers, it's different. But what we have figured out is that this team is going to put up yards. They're going to put up points. But they're going to have to deal with some depth issues on defense, especially at linebacker. And you have to wonder if offensively for a team that goes really fast and runs about 80 plays per game, you wonder if they'll try to go more ball control and protect that defense and at the same time give that defense an opportunity to figure out its strengths, and then they can show what those are during the final six games of the season and hopefully get another chance if you can get to six wins and get one of those bowl slots. Well, I I, I don't know the remaining schedule, but I, I, I'm pulling for you, obviously. Uh, five for five in the red zone is not a bad day either. And uh, Van Trees is actually, I believe this is based on average yards per game, uh, leading the league in passing. So uh, pretty good, pretty good opportunity there. If you can get the defense squared away. Yeah. He said Georgia Southern single season passing record on Saturday and we're six games into the season. So that, that, that shows you how <laughs> the run that there has been over the course of four decades, but even so, it's still a team that's going to need to run it 30 to 35 times per game. Georgia Southern's top 15 in the country in yards per carry. So clearly they've been able to find those gaps whenever people have dropped eight in coverage. And those gaps have been there to present opportunities in the run game for Jalen White, for Gerald Green, for O.J. Arnold. But last weekend was the first time there wasn't. Georgia State had a really good scheme. We know they've got uh, a scrappy defensive line, a lot like Coastal. They've lost some of the star power up front, but the guys that were waiting in the wings have stepped in nicely. They play the same way. They tackle really well up front, and that's something that Georgia Southern did not do well at all. They missed about 30 tackles against Georgia State in that game, multiple tackles on multiple plays that led to big gains. And when you lose by eight points, it magnifies those struggles that much more. How was the field goal, uh, the extra point miss? Was that uh, was it blocked? I'm trying to remember now. I thought I saw it. Yeah, it was it was blocked. They got pressure from the left middle. It was Justin Abraham, the backup linebacker, that got a hand on it. And that's the first pick that Alex Rainer had missed all year. He's still nine for nine on field goals, but that's the that's the first kick that he had missed. And at that point, it would have made for a three-point game instead of a four-point game. And after the Eagles had built some momentum in their favor, it, it felt like the air went out of the balloon when that kick got blocked. And look, George Southern got it back to eight in the fourth quarter, but when they got those last two opportunities, they had back-to-back interceptions and and just couldn't overcome the five turnovers. Yeah. So the uh, final game we'll talk about before we take a quick break, uh, Texas State. Um, I don't think there's any – I know it ended at a 12-point game, but at the same time, that was a blowout. I mean, Texas State dominated the game. And from what – everything I watched and saw, it was just – it was fascinating to see something happen like that. Oh, well, when we're checking scores on the way home, we see, okay, Texas State's up 7 nothing. Yeah, it happens sometimes. You go out, you have a good opening drive, you feel good about yourself, get the crowd behind you. Then it's 14 nothing. then it's 21, then apps turn the ball over, Torrey Spears gets the pick six, and you're thinking, okay, it, it, it might happen. It tried to rally, but they failed on fourth down a couple of times, and 
Texas State did more than enough to hold up its end of the bargain and not overstating it. I think it's one of their biggest wins since they moved to the FBS eight years ago, and I believe it was a top ten crowd in the history of Bobcat Stadium. I know their president, Kelly Dampus, who was formerly at Arkansas State, he, he's been a great addition, and to have him there as somebody that understands that football and athletics are the front porch of a university and can help get you exposure in ways that you wouldn't have imagined. To be able to do that against a team like App State, Texas State's been close against App a couple of times in San Marcos, but they didn't close the deal. And they got theirs. I think ULM is still looking for a game like that. But good for Texas State, good for Jake Spavadol, because as we've talked about before with him, he's probably coaching for his job, and a win like that makes you forget some of the things that they haven't done during his tenure, and maybe that you can think about some of the things that they could do throughout the rest of the tenure. I think the, the surprising number to me in the game was App State only 41 yards rushing and Texas State yeah. only 53. I mean, like, and, and and then it's not like that was on five carries or seven carries. They averaged two yards a carry and 1.8, so neither one of them could run the ball consistently. Yeah, that's, that's really troubling for App State. James Madison shut down the running game, and you thought, okay, that, that's, that was just JMU on a crazy momentum wave after they got down big in that game, came back from 28-3 down. But for App to be held like that and be forced to throw the ball a lot, we've talked about it before on here, when App has to throw the ball a ton, they don't win. They've got to be able to establish that running game, that zone stretch game that has been amongst the league's best since they joined the conference. But to hear a team like that that has two of the league's best running backs not able to run the football, and I know Texas State typically has one of the league's better rush defenses, even though they've struggled to pick up their wins. But to hear that again for App, you have to wonder if the armor is finally starting to rust a little bit on Sean Clark. I'm not saying that they're going to completely fall off the top of the mountain, but you have to wonder if that wave that they were riding after Clark was hired, if it's finally starting to wear a little bit and if app is just going to become another team i'm just floating that i don't think it's going to happen but i know that that's what a lot of boone and app nation are thinking right now well i, I know it's a uh it it's i'm, I'm going to misquote it here but i know it's a bible verse and but at the same time coach robe talking about it on uh some uh, a lot iron sharpens iron or in his words you can't sh you can't sharpen a knife with a kleenex so I think playing in this league, everyone's going to get better just because of the competition. So, all right, Daniel, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about this week's games that are coming up. Uh, you've been listening to We're Talking with Craig Malonso and Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Welcome back into We're Talking, and we're talking football, Sunbelt Conference football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Uh, Danny, let's talk about the game Wednesday night, especially with the Cajun fans, which is the majority of my listeners. Marshall, uh, you know, Marshall's a team I, I don't understand, and as much as I don't understand them, I really don't understand the Cajuns either because they seem to be playing better, but they can't get that win where Marshall, you know, had the win over Notre Dame and then turn around. And, and lose to Bowling Green of all teams. I'm sorry, Bowling Green is not a good football team. They're no, no, they're, they're not in Notre Dame for sure. Your thoughts on the game coming up? 
Well, for Marshall, you know they've got some of the league's best talent, and they proved they could be one of the better teams and better programs in the country, but it's been very hilly, very up and down since, and they've been playing without one of the nation's top running backs and Rasheen Ali all year because he's been on the leave of absence. But Kalen Laborn, the FSU transfer, has been unreal. He's he had five straight 100-yard games to begin his career. Nobody in Marshall history had ever done that. Corey Gamage is an excellent receiver. And they've got dudes at just about every position. I know one thing that Charles Huff said about last year was what they had to get some depth and some size on both lines. I think he said going into that game against the Cajuns last year, down in New Orleans, they had six healthy defensive linemen. And there was a game in the fourth quarter they led, but they just wore out. And Louisiana ended up winning the game going away. And then for the Cajuns, well, Ben Woldridge, you're up. I know he's played a little bit, but, dude, the ball is yours. And it's on national television. So whatever you do, you can make a lot of friends. You can make a lot of enemies. It's going to be interesting uh, what Ben can do, knowing that the team is his in his first start and coming out and how he – responds to both uh that that being a start and his and his teammates so um wish Chandler Chandler Fields all the best uh in his recovery and uh as I as I said at the beginning of the year you're probably going to lose your quarterback at some time in the some point in the season even if it's just for a game so you you want somebody with some uh you want some depth there and I think that's what the Cajuns have right now in Ben Woolrich. So moving on old dominion at coastal this, uh, both teams, uh, I think that's a game coastal should win. Uh, I mean, playing at home and everything else, but old dominions had his moments at, 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 at times too, but they haven't been able to, to move the ball up and down. Exactly. So what's your thoughts besides the waving of the hand? Their defense will keep a minute. Jason Henderson leads the country in tackles by a pretty significant margin. But the, the thing with Old Dominion is can that offense generate points? I think that they showed, just like Marshall, can beat Virginia Tech, can almost beat Virginia, but it's not a consistent group. And I think they know it's not a consistent group. They know they're a team that's going to have to rely more so on that defense and look, you, you got to think that Coastal is going to stub eventually. And it felt like they've almost done it three or four times this year. I mean, Georgia Southern had them by 10 in the fourth quarter a couple of weeks ago and couldn't close it out. They almost did it against ULM. Probably should have happened against Buffalo. Probably should have happened against Gardner Webb. But they keep winning. Eventually, though, they're going to catch somebody on a day where they're not going to be able to overcome their shortcomings. I don't know if it's this weekend. I have no idea if it's this weekend. But I do know that Old Dominion's defense is good enough to keep this a low enough scoring game where they'd be able to get at least a couple of touchdowns and win a close one. Yeah, it's it's one of those that, you, like like you said, it is – I mean, it's it's the strength of both teams that are going to be going up against each other with uh, Colson and their offense and uh, Old Dominion with their defense. So I, I like the fact it's an early game. Uh, be able to watch, catch a couple games before uh, your game, so it, it's gonna it's gonna be a fun day of football watching. Um, next game, Texas State heading to Troy. This is a game. If Texas State wants to say, okay, App State game wasn't a fluke, they've got to win this game, in my opinion. And I think they have an opportunity. Although I think Troy's a better team. 
if you are for real, you need to get this one. They should have beaten Troy last year in San Marcos. Troy closed that game late. That was a, It was a really well-played game. But if Texas State is finally going to take that step forward, you can't beat App. And then I know Troy has its positives like we've already outlined earlier on. But if you are for real and you're going to threaten in that West division, because I know South is probably the front runner in the West, but that's a division that could be up for the taking if Texas State can at least get another one. Now, the same thing for the Cajuns. If they can get Marshall, okay, you're back in the discussion. Then hopefully South Alabama can have a couple of mistakes here and there. But Texas State, yeah, you you, you got to get this one. I know it's on the road. I know it's at the vet, but you got to get this one. Uh, speaking of South Alabama, after having a week off, they're hosting ULM. This is, you know, both – both uh, I, I thought the Cajuns played their best game against South Alabama and played uh, – they played better than they played uh, – the Cajuns played better against ULM than they played at Rice. But at the same time, this is a game at home that South Alabama's got to take as well. I mean, if, if they want to be the front runner in, in the in the West. I think this is homecoming for South Alabama, too, and this would get them that much closer to bowl eligibility. They've got their running game. They've got their defense, the the Swarm D that Kane Womack has, has talked about that his dad created about four decades ago. They, they've got their pieces, and as long as they don't have what usually happens with them take place, then I think that South is looking at a big year. I really do. Well, let me ask you this. I, I know it's college football and it, it, it's it's all those things, but at the same time, you've got the distraction of homecoming. Then you're then you're you're set to play five days later at Troy, or no, you host Troy. Is there any looking ahead? I mean, maybe. Look, they'll they'll say not, but of course there is. The, the, everyone will say focuses on this game and only this game, but. Troy South is for the battle of the belt, and that would mean something. Of course, there's going to be a little bit of a look ahead. Uh, Southern Miss hosting Arkansas State. I think this. Uh, I think again, the home team should should prevail in that one. There, uh, it all depends what Southern Miss does about quarterbacks and all that. Although I like we keep talking each week, Arkansas State is getting better, and I think they're getting better week to week. Uh, so I think Southern misses as well. What's your thoughts on that one? Well, whoever loses is probably the doormat in the West. And maybe that's a little bit too um, blunt of a way to put it. But the I, I don't know which way to go on this one. Because I think both – I honestly think this game could be a blowout in both ways because I think Arkansas State will have trouble stopping Southern Miss's run game with Gore, but I also think that Ark State has enough athletes on offense where Southern Miss would have trouble covering. And that one could go substantially wide, I think, in either way. I don't know that this is a close game. Interesting. Now, now you're going to force me to spend more time watching that game, which, which I'm okay with. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it'll be interesting. Okay. Oh, shucks, you got to watch more football. Yeah, damn it, I hate it when that happens. Uh, James Madison in, at uh, hosting Georgia or George, Georgia Southern hosting James Madison. All right. 
what do the Eagles need to do here? <laughs> well, one, they got to stop the run. <laughs> Didn't do it last week and three times this year. They've given up at least 230 yards on the ground. If that happens on Saturday, I know there's a lot going on with family weekend. It's tackling for a cure weekend, promoting breast cancer awareness, since this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, celebrating the 40-year team. The Irk Russell family is going to be back and honored during the game. The Dirty Dozen, a group of people that helped raise money back in the early 80s to get the program back and started again, they're going to be honored. The women's rifle team off the SOCON championship is going to be honored. So there's there's going to be a big crowd here, and it might end up being the biggest of the season outside of Appalachian State. But if the Eagles do not stop JMU's run game, and if they don't run the ball more effectively than they did last week, it's not going to be a good evening. I'm just going to be up front. I know, I know it's only through five games for James Madison, but at the same time, they do have statistically the number one team in the Sun Belt defensively and only giving up uh, through the air uh, 1,100 yards over five games. So um, is Georgia Southern going to be able to pass the ball on them? I know you said oh, better. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> it's their case. <laughs> I mean, I know you said that the key would be rushing. But at the same time, if you, you you've got to be able to do something if if your if your if your key key spot doesn't no work. the no what I mean is that Georgia Southern's still going to need to run the ball thirty to thirty five times maybe even more than that I, you, they're going to need to throw to score but they're going to need to run to win they'll get their yards but if drives end by turning it over or they end with field goals it's going to be tough to stick with James Madison because they do the exact opposite. They have a very measured approach. They fit with their blocking scheme. They don't have a lot of depth at receiver, but Chris Thornton is one of the league's best. They also have some struggles with their kicking game. Their their kicker is just two for six so far. But then again, if you're scoring a lot of touchdowns and you're only worried about extra points, that, that can kind of mitigate some of those troubles. But with, with Georgia Southern's offense – They'll be able to get their yards through the air, but this is a very good JMU front, a gap sound front, disciplined front. They don't make a whole lot of mistakes. They force you to earn it. I think you can get them for some big plays, but if you don't give Van Treese time to find his his targets, then he's going to have to force throws. If you can't run the ball, he's going to have to force throws, and then you're going to put more pressure on that defense, which really struggled last week. I just find it very interesting to me that both teams are at the top uh, on the offensive side, Georgia Southern averaging 491.8 yards uh, per game and uh, James Madison, 488.6, one and two in the Sun Belt. So I know you guys haven't played alike, like opponents, but at the same time uh, that that's, that's getting some things done there. That's a lot of yards. Oh, it's definitely the league's two best offenses statistically going at it on Saturday. But the difference is, is that JMU has one of the nation's best defenses. And yes. Georgia Southern is with a lot of guys banged up. They lost a couple of more over the weekend. Derek Canteen didn't play last weekend. The hope is that he's going to be back for this week. We just got to see Quinn Williams is a linebacker D lineman that had been playing so, so well for about three weeks. He was a late scratch and his status is, is up in the air. And then you lose Todd Bradley Glenn, your seventh year linebacker to another season ending injury. I absolutely hate it for him because he's been through enough. 
I, I hope that we can take a lesson from his ability to simply bounce back and keep coming back and hope the guys on the team can understand just what he's made of as well. But maybe they can find a way to play the rest of the year for him and find some find something special, and maybe that'll help them to start getting some stops. Well, Danny, I appreciate your time as always, especially this one on short notice. Uh, but before we sign off, we always like to hear – uh, any words of wisdom or any unique stories, whether we talked about foreign kickers a while back, foreign players or something that's been crazy that you've seen lately or in the past, even because we don't get to talk uh, uh, every day. But any any last words? I'm sorry, I've rambled. I'll, I'll restrict it to this particular matchup because there is some history between Georgia Southern and JMU. They met eight consecutive years from 85 through 92, and a lot of people still consider JMU as one of Georgia Southern's first big rivals. It's going to be the biggest crowd of the year at Paulson at this point, but in the early days when these two met here, twice they set the attendance record at Paulson. I'm not saying that there's going to be more than 25,700 here on Saturday. That, that, that's not going to happen, but maybe the push of having a top 25 team here for the third time in four years, knowing that it's a new team, chance to see how good they really are. Family weekend, a lot of people being honored with family weekend. You know that it's it's going to be a robust crowd. And I don't, maybe, maybe there's something in there that can power Georgia Southern to a needed victory. Otherwise, it's three straight losses and you're three and four trying to find those three more wins to get to bowl eligibility. But looking forward to having JMU back down here. It's almost 30 years to the day since the last time that they were here. And the film says they look really good, but I'm looking forward to seeing if in-person matches up. Well, best of luck. And I know your fans have a, a, a I won't say a tendency. They do, they, do they do show up and they do show up for big games in a big way. So best of luck this weekend, Danny, and we'll talk to you next week. Buddy, I appreciate you. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to We're Talking today with Craig Malonson and Danny Reed of the Georgia Southern Sports Network, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it. Share it. Put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.